Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Us once. This is an individual who's writing the book. Obviously, the story consists of Paul and Silas. They're two main figures in this story. But there's several several other figures that are not mentioned in this. One is Luke. He's the writer of this story. In fact, he's the writer of this entire book and the book of Luke. But what we must understand that provides a little bit more validity is that Luke witnessed this situation. Luke watched this moment go down. Luke was a part of this whole scenario. And so he tells the story. Two other individuals that are not mentioned here. Timothy. If you look back in chapter 16 on the front end, you'll find that Timothy was presented an opportunity by Paul to go. And Timothy jumped. I wish a lot of us would do that. Here's an opportunity. Let's go. Let's roll. And the other one, that if we start to piecemeal scripture, we find that Titus is another individual that is a part of this group. So this is a band of brothers. This is Paul and his posse. And they're going to a place of prayer. And that place of prayer, if you look up the few verses before verse 16, you will find that the place of prayer in Philippi is a river where people are gathering together. And so we meet this young girl. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us. Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, and Titus. Shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled. In some versions says he was annoyed. Others, he was grieved. He was just a little ticked. That he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Let's put a pause again. We would be remiss if we didn't really address what was just said in the Scripture. Because what was just said in the Scripture addresses what we are facing today. Not only as a community, but as a nation and as a world. As you have read and heard, there is a young girl who is a slave girl. She's possessed twice. One, she's possessed by a spirit. She's possessed by a demon. And if you notice what she says, these guys are serving the Son of the Most High, God, and telling you the way to be saved. I've scoured Scripture time and time again to look for an atheist and an agnostic demon, and there is no such thing. Even the demons know that God is who he says he is. But also, this girl is not only possessed by a spirit, she's possessed by people. She's owned. 
She's a slave girl. And she is making money for this couple. So we must understand that scripture, that this, in this instance, this speaks to the entirety of the text, the entirety of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Possession of people is detestable and abhorrent to the Lord. That is not his desire. That is not his design. That is not his plan, and he is not okay with it. There are way too many industries in this world, particularly in the United States, that make their money off possession of people. Case in point, the porn industry. Sex trafficking and porn industry makes millions and billions of dollars off the possession of people, off the backs of young girls and, yes, young boys. Possession of people is not okay. But we also see that what Paul does here is very symbolic, reflective of who our God is. Because he releases this girl from possession of a demon, but also releases this young girl from the possession of her owners. Because he casts out the demon, he not only redeems her spiritually in her heart, which God wants to do to each and every one of us in this room, to each and every one of us listening online, and to everyone in this nation. To free us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But also Paul has released her socioeconomically and physically because the oppression of people is not okay. It is detestable and abhorrent to the Lord, regardless who they are. Oppression of people is not okay. We would be remiss if we didn't see this and understand this from this story. But our focus today is worship. And I want us to jump right into the worship. So let's continue in the in the story. They brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates, verse 20, and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. We must note that Paul and Silas, Luke, Timothy, and Titus were men of peace, bringing peace and the message of peace to a community. But unfortunately, when you speak truth, truth rubs raw, doesn't it? And like a great Simpsons uh, show, the mob mentality takes over. And the whole city goes into an uproar because these men of peace, the carriers of peace. And so let's find out what happens. They were stripped and beaten. After that, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And other prisoners, the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up when he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Let's pause there for a second. Why? Because he was charged with keeping these men under lock and key. And in the Roman government, if you don't do your job, they'll off you. So he was going to take his own life before anyone else could take his life. And so, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that is true today. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family, Heavenly Father, in the remaining moments that we are gathered here together listening to the Word of God. We ask that the Word of God speak clearly to our hearts, that it unpacks our own heart, and that we respond accordingly, not to what I say as a pastor, but to what you say and the biblical truths therein. May we respond as a people and be obedient to what you call us to be and how you call us to live and in the ways that honor you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we find Paul and Silas in a jail cell, the inner jail cell, the cell that is hardest to get out of. And what did they do? They felt their chains and they started to complain. They started to regret the decisions that they had made into following Jesus. They questioned their whole belief system. They said, if God is good, then why is this bad thing happening to me? Forget it. I'm done. Paul looked at Silas and said, man, I had it made before Jesus. Man, I had authority. I had power. I had fame. People were eating out of my hands. And I was arresting people that were Christians. I had it made before Jesus. I'm done with this. I'm over it. Let's move on. No, that's not what they said. Just in case you were wondering. But is that not our tendency? When it gets hard in our faith, when it gets hard in life, when we see all the obstacles and the issues We begin to question our belief in God. And we ask Him, if you are good, then why are all these bad things happening to me? I don't think 
there's any other creature in God's creation that asks that question. I wonder, over the last 11 weeks, 12 weeks, if God has looked at humanity and questioned our existence. Paul and Silas chose differently. I don't know if you noticed, but they're not in the jail cell by themselves. There are other prisoners in the same chains, in the same darkness, with the same wounds, without being free, physically. Let's see, Paul and Silas chose differently than everyone else in that jail cell. They chose differently. And they began to pray. Often we say that's the, that's the last thing we do, right? But they engage in conversation with their Creator. They are physically chained, but spiritually they are free. Unlike the slave girl who was spiritually chained and physically chained. Paul and Silas were spiritually free. It is for freedom freedom that Christ has set us free. And you can be free regardless of the circumstances that you are in. Because that is what our Creator God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross. And almost in a moment, their prayer, their conversation with God moves to praise They begin to sing hymns, not about God, not encouraging everybody else to sing about God, but they sang to God as if God were in the room with them, and He was. Because in your darkness and in your darkest moments, God still remains there with you in your darkest moments. Folks, last week we said, we talked about how how power follows prayer. And here today we see that power also follows praise. Folks, when you are in those moments where it's the hardest of your life, or in those moments that are just really under your skin. It is prayer and praise that refocuses your heart and your mind. It centers you on your Creator. Now, I don't know if any of our kids today, I asked if you would make a musical note. Did anybody make a musical note? Anybody? Did any adult kids make a musical note? No? Oh, Zadie, you made one. Can I see? Can I see? You didn't make it? That's okay. We have sharing going on. We have to get back to kindergarten, folks. We really do. Papa, my bed. We We have the roof over our head, the library. Folks, when you praise the Lord, you have a shift perspective. You have a shift in the way you view your circumstance, the way you view yourself, and the way you view humanity. 
is a God of movement. He moves. But He's also the God who was and is and will be. He's the unshakable God. He's the rock. He's the fortress. He's the shelter and the storm and the one who brings us through the storm. Folks, when we worship our God, when we sing to Him, we understand who we are. It was really interesting. Last service, Matthew was up here reading Scripture. And little Oliver, little man, I call him little man, little man, little man just got up out of his seat and walked up to his daddy. And then kind of grabbed onto his legs and grabbed onto the table. And then Matthew picked him up right as he went into prayer. That's what praise is. You can run to your papa. He'll pick you up. No matter what he's doing and what you're doing, you can run to your papa and praise the prayer. Now, worship is not, is more than what you think it is. If we were to pull the United States and all the churchgoers that go to, to church on Sunday morning, and you said, what is worship? My guess is the majority of people would say that 10, 15, 20 minutes of music in the gathering. But worship is more than you think it is. It's a choice here. Worship is God demands all of you. Jesus himself looked back over his shoulder and summed up the law and the prophets. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, yes, your intellect, with all your strength. It's not most of us. It's not some of us. It's all of us. Not most of you, not some of you, but all of you. The Lord God said on the mountain to Moses, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have any gods before me. Not most of you, not some of you, but all of you. Joshua, at the end of his life, after he has led the Israelites across the Jordan, they've conquered and now taken possession of the promised land. He stood before all the people and he posed them with a question. He said this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped and serve the Lord. But, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. Then choose this day whom you will serve. Elijah, the brazen, brash prophet, was at an epic showdown on the top of Mount Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal standing before all the people of Israel. 
he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, if you want to serve money, do it. If you want to serve work, go out. If you want to serve sex, have at it. If you want to serve yourself, why are you waiting? Have at it. Because what did Elijah know? That God knew. Elijah knew that all the gods that they tried to serve and all the gods that we try to serve, that false gods, they promise those things that only God can fulfill. False gods promise to provide the things that only God will provide. Back to Joshua. He said, if serving God seems undesirable to you, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 24. Folks, God desires not most of you, not just some of you, but all of you. You, you, are the instrument of worship to God. God has set eternity into you. God has put his image on you and in you. His fingerprints are all over you. You talk about a spreading of a virus. He's all over you. Whether you believe in him or not. And he wants not most of you, not some of you, but all of you. Be either cold or hot. Do not be lukewarm. Do the hokey pokey and throw your whole self in. I thought about playing that today, but I didn't want to scare you. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, we cannot serve both you and another God, whatever that looks like in our life. You demand our all. You desire our all. You have designed us to worship. And as Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. May we be a people who serve you, who worship you, who know that worship is more than music, that we are the instrument of praise to you. We are the instrument of worship to you, the way we work, the way we interact.
grace. We give grace. How we're forgiving. How we work through those issues in our life. How we step in the gap and we free those that need freedom. We speak for those who have no voice. We give mercy. We give grace. We love and walk humbly. Father, those are the things that should mark us. It's those things that we worship you with. Father, may we be a people who will serve the Lord, who will worship you. And if any of us are not giving you our all, Lord, help us wrestle with that. Give us an understanding of what we're giving ourselves to or who we're giving ourselves to that is in your rightful place. We love you, Father. It's in your name that we ask these things today. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.